Golden Deer Productions. Golden Deer. Oh, oh, wait, was that not it? Hey, enter, just, you forgot to enter. Whoa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night. This is Connor Holloway of the Golden Hours Podcast, and this is a GDP Minute. Now, guys, I don't mean to beat a dead horse here, truthfully, but if you guys get any sort of value from the episode, I mean it. It really means the world to me if you can just share it with someone. Share with someone that's like-minded. Share with someone you think that would like it. That is how we grow the brand incredibly organically, and we have the last four to five years. It's just been person to person. And as I told you, my goal is to produce some of the biggest and most entertaining projects in the world. Whether that comes in the form of an event or a movie or a show, I'm indifferent. But I do use this podcast as a vessel to get there, and I also use it as an opportunity to get great people on, to interview great people, and to have a good time. And so you guys are entertained and you learn something. Now, segueing, I just had Will Nitza. I thought it was Will Nitz, truthfully, but Will Nitza on the podcast. Now, Will is, there's like an incubator in Boston kind of of founders and startups. And Will started a company called IQ Bar. Now, it's a protein bar. Essentially, it's not really like a protein, protein bar, but it's a bar. And uh, I was down here in Florida, and I saw it on the shelves, and I was like, yo, good for this dude. He's a young dude. He's got his brand all the way down here. That's awesome. And uh, we just talked about a lot of different stuff. He's a, a hustler. He's clearly a really smart guy. He used a bunch of big words I didn't really understand. I think one of them was tantamount. I was like, what the fuck does tantamount mean? And um, I had a great time. Good guy. And we talked a lot about his bars, what entrepreneurship's been like. He's been running the company for four years now, how he sets goals, some of the chemicals in his bars and some of the vitamins, how he utilizes them. And then I gave him a little bit of a sales pitch at the end that kind of gets drawn out a little bit. So I apologize. Now, this is his episode. This is his golden hour. Hope you guys enjoy. Going to be dropping one every week until we got a hold on the damn game. All love, brother. Golden Deer Productions. Golden Deer. Oh, oh, wait, was that not it? Hey, enter, just you forgot to enter. Hi, my name's Will Netza, and this is my golden hour. Okay, we're locked in the metaverse. And before Alrighty. we move on, I just want to say one thing. You're a great guy, man. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to do it. Okay, so real quick. As I was saying on the Lex, on the whole Lex Friedman thing, I was listening to that Mark Zuckerberg podcast. He was kind of talking about selling tangible products that like with haptics, you can actually feel in the metaverse. Now, if you think like, and we talked about this yesterday, like you don't really do this as an entrepreneur, but if you think like 20 years ahead, you're still running an IQ bar. Could you see yourself developing a tangible product in the metaverse that's branded as IQ bar? I guess it wouldn't be wouldn't be so tangible if it was in the metaverse, but um, but I don't know, I don't know. Maybe it's I've I've stopped trying to predict. Like if if you explain the concept of an NFT or the metaverse or, or you know any of those nebulous terms to me, even five years ago, I think it's the dumbest thing ever. Um, and I still am not like not quite there, but it gets less dumb every every day. And there's some credence to like that that thing of if enough smart people you respect say something's worth paying attention to, it's probably worth paying attention to. So 
will I, will I ever do something in that world? Uh, never say never, but not in the near future. Well, the lines of what's tangible and not, and is not tangible would be blurred because we literally will have some sort of like Iron Man type hand that gives you sensory feeling into your body. So you will be able to grab something and feel like you're grabbing something. Totally. I don't know if that ever translates to consuming things, but yeah, anything that you can touch and feel and, um, it certainly um, can can cross that bridge of tangibility. Um, I wonder what the like ceiling of that is. You know, maybe, maybe then you can keep going down the rabbit hole and get into like the whole Neuralink world of like I was listening to this interesting podcast on just hearing. Right, like hearing is kind of a weird thing. There's a sound; it makes a vibration in the air. The vibration hits your your ear, which is this weird like satellite dish type thing and then it vibrates the bones within your ear and then the the pattern of bone vibration sends particular signals to your neurons and then your neurons registers that as hearing something but you know what if you could just cut all of those first three or four steps out of out of the equation with something like Neuralink and just listen to music in silence um so I don't know, you can go, you can go down pretty deep in any of these rabbit holes in terms of what's possible. Well, as a capitalist and as an opportunist, you could be the first person to give people accurate macros in the metaverse, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would prioritize the reality first, but, um, but yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think there's going to be a whole there's going to be this whole dichotomy of just people, right? Like, I think it's so like dispositional and, and contextual of people who want that. Like, I think there's, it's a big leap to assume people want to live digitally or are a a non-negligible portion of their lives digitally. Um, Certainly there's a massive niche, if you can even call it, that would want to live most of their life digitally. And then there's, I think, a massive niche that that doesn't want anything to do with it, right? And maybe that's largely generational. And then there's everyone in between where it's like, okay, I could see myself wanting to be like courtside at a, you know, Lakers game or whatever here and there. But like, for the most part, I, I like the real world. So it's, it's uh, the good, a good analog is like the Google glasses thing like when they first came out with that, like the technology was so cool and revolutionary and no one used it because it looked dumb <laughs> and no one wants to look dumb. And so it's like the, the, the downstream like adoption of any of these things, however good they are technically is ultimately going to drive, you know, success or not success. So you don't have any kids, right? No, nor do I thank God, brother. But I think, you know, you and I, you're, what are you, 30, 31? 31. Yeah. So, I mean, we grew up and after our adolescence is when we really started using phones. And I wonder if the generation below us will be more assimilated to technological culture and they'll have a bigger propensity to take on these bigger technological 
changes like being in the metaverse and using haptics and using Oculus glasses? Yeah, they almost certainly will. Uh, so, so much stuff is generational. Like uh, Gen Z is like, <laughs> it, it, it just general, it just is true that like every generation looks at the younger generation in disbelief. Like it's, it's reliably true. Like millennials, we would scratch our head at baby boomer parents doing things. And now I scratch my head at Gen Z and it's like so wild, the differences, a lot of which I think are accelerated by these also wild dynamics, like a once in a hundred year pandemic and, you know, massive civil rights movement and, um, you know, the first major invasion in, in decades, right? Um, like there are all these crazy, this is crazy confluence of things happening combined with technology in parallel that are, I think, making, that are actually widening the gaps between generations um, to the point where I'm like, it's weird. I feel old and I'm not old. Um, so I think some people can keep up with it and they can adapt and some people don't even want to keep up with, with it. Well, as a, an entrepreneur, I'm sure you have your your schedule tightly packed and you know exactly what you're going to do on a day-to-day basis. Do you make time to like absorb current events and understand what's going on in the world? Or are you the type that's completely obsessive into the business? No, I absolutely make time. Um, I mean, you'd go absolutely crazy if you didn't, I feel like. Certainly there are, you know, your quote unquote sprints where you're just, I mean, you're drinking three cups of coffee and sitting in a desk and just hammering out a project for 14 straight hours. Like there are those moments, they're not sustainable. Um, And I actually like that sort of sprint framework for for getting stuff done. Um, But um, yeah, what, what, sorry, what was your question? I asked if like, if you give yourself or oh, do it. Yeah. Time. Do I stay, stay current? Yeah. So, so I think I, I like, I like the sort of framework of sprints and then in between sprints doing something different, but everything I do is tangentially related to other things I do. So, you know, I'll follow people on Twitter and I'll consume tweets and things like that, but they're all like sort of related to, what I'm doing tangentially. So they're related to startup, you know, hacks or culture. Um, and then there's, there, there is some sliver of, of, of stuff I stay abreast of that is just not relevant, like, like NFTs and crypto and the metaverse. And just because like, if you're not, you're building a, a knowledge uh, debt or hole or gap uh, that will just get bigger and bigger over time if you don't at least stay somewhat abreast of major cultural movements um, in whatever realm, finance, um, you know, uh, media, politics, et cetera. So, and everything ultimately is linked in some way. And I think a lot of the, the linkages are 
not necessarily foreseeable in the, in the short term, but it's value, you know, value ultimately valuable in the long term. Yeah. I mean, I think ultimately you, you looking at NFTs in the metaverse is still, you're still getting a grasp on like general business. I almost wonder, like, do you have a complete escape ever from what you do? Like, is there ever a time where you dedicate like, all right, I'm shutting everything off and I can actually turn my brain off because for a long time, people have been like, yeah, man, like you should really go find something where like, it's going to help you a lot with the rest of your business and everything you're doing. If you could separate yourself, I have never been able to find that balance. No, neither have I. I don't think it exists. I think it can exist in almost like sprints the other way. Like, sometimes literally a sprint, you go for a run, right? And that breaks up your day and you change your physiology. You get your heart rate up. You're doing something different. You let your mind wander and then you come back to, to what you were doing before. So I don't, I, I, I really don't think you can ever fully escape it. Um, because like, it just is the fact, a fact that like the people who win, are always thinking about the thing they're working on. And I mean, there's like some debate about this, like the 37 signals or base camp guy. I don't know if you follow those guys, but um, they wrote a book. The one guy's name is DHH and I forgot the other guy's name, but they wrote a book called rework, which I read a while ago. And uh, their whole kind of soapbox thing is you just don't need like work smarter, not harder. And there's that, that debate over, you know, work smarter versus harder or just work your ass off period. Now, I always came down on the side of just work your ass off period, honestly, um, because I don't think it's that ever obvious how to work smarter. I think like entrepreneurship is just ruthless trial and error. Um, I mean, certainly there are, you know, obvious ways to work smarter. Don't do data entry when you could drag a cell, you know, down hundred rows and that's replacing that, you know, uh, data entry exercise, right? Like there's like the obvious stuff where there just is a right way to do it and, and a faster way to do it. The vast majority of stuff is super subjective. And so there just is no way to work smarter. You have to think about it all the time and do like constant tests and micro pivots all the time. So I think you can, you can break it up. You can go on a trip, you can go on a weekend trip, you can go on a run, there's small and medium sized ways to break it up. Maybe you're a soccer coach on the weekend for your kid or whatever, you know, but that's, you're looking at five, 7% of your time that you can do that. And then you need to like be back at it. I mean, I also think like entrepreneurship, maybe people will disagree, but it's just like a young man's game. Like it's, it's so brutal and taxing that I just don't know how people do it when they have two kids and a mortgage and, you know, all this other stuff on their back. Um, because you can't think about something incessantly at, at that stage. Yeah. And I agree, but I also think we might talk in 20 years and have an entirely different perspective on like, yo, maybe we thought all we had to do is just chop the same fucking tree all the time to move things forward. But maybe we could have executed a little more calculated and given ourselves more time. Do you ever think like that? 
Um, I, I agree with no. you. Like, I feel like anytime I've actually garnered momentum in my life, it's been like just fucking just dogged fucking savagery. But <laughs> truthfully, and anytime I've slowed down, everything else has slowed down. But I do think like you just sometimes picture like there's like a wise man, like old entrepreneur who's like sitting with his feet back, just like making little shots, calling little calls and making billions of bucks. I think that's like a, I think that's a fallacy. I, I think here's the thing. If you're like, like, I forget the guy's name. I think his name is Mike Rapole or Rampole or something. There's this guy who just has consistently had these mega hits in the beverage industry. Um, and he's come out with like, I think like core water and then body armor. And then he had some other just huge hit and, and he just keeps producing hits in the beverage industry and selling them to large you know, strategic CPG beverage companies like Coca-Cola. <clears throat> yeah. I looked at my micro pole. And, you're right. And, and, and like for a guy like that, there's an insane amount of learnings that he learned from the first go around that he can then apply to the second. And then the first and the second, he can apply those learnings to the third and sort of a momentum, momentum uh, play there. And, and I think cases like that, like, yeah, you, you, you can do the, the third thing way, way quicker and with less mistakes and less, you know, burn less money the third time than the first time. I think that's the exception though, not, not the norm. Like most people who do a second or a third thing, that thing is different enough and the environment is different enough. Um, and maybe the industry and the product and yada, yada, that it's still going to be an absolute grind. Um, but certainly there are things that are just, you just do learn the first go around. Like, stuff that is immutable. It doesn't change like human psychology and there's a right and wrong way to hire people. And, you know, you have this bad situation where you're like, Ooh, I never want to do that again. And here's how I can stop myself from ever doing that again. But I don't think it ever becomes not a grind where you're staying up late thinking about it. Before we move on, can you just give a quick synopsis of everyone of who you are and what you do, just so the conversation makes a little bit more sense. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, so so my name is Will Netza. I uh, am the founder and CEO of IQ Bar. We're a brain and body nutrition company. Our first and largest product line are, are plant-based protein bars. And the whole concept is basically they, they center on brain and body nutrients. So things like omega-3s and flavonoids and and lion's mane, but also a high amount of, uh, those are all for the brain, by the way. And then, you know, for the body plant protein and a ketogenic profile, low sugar, et cetera. Um, but we also just launched a product called IQ mix. So that's a hydration stick pack. It's really the first, um, adaptogen plus electrolytes hydration product, also zero sugar, keto plant-based, et cetera. So we're brain and body nutrition company that is in the process of platformizing ourselves across um, multiple categories. For non-intelligent people, I'm going to boil it down for him. Will is a hustler. He raised money. He started a quote unquote nutrition and protein bar company. And I was 
stunned here in Naples, Florida to walk to this little ditzy like supermarket, tiny. And I'm looking at the shelf and there, I, I think it's every single one of your SKUs was on the shelf. And I was like, what is this doing in Florida, man? That is awesome. And um, I mean, yeah, I had known about IQ bar through Greg. I don't know if you still work with Greg, but uh, Greg, I don't, but I love Greg. Good guy. He's also doing, he seems like he's doing great. Seems like he's grown his business a bunch. Um, but I was like, wow, this is dope because, and then I was wondering, how does that business work? Were you the one making that call yourself or did they familiarize themselves with the brand and they just bought it online? How would that specific business work? Yeah. I mean, that's always the, there are always a couple things that until you do it, you're just like, how did that thing get there? Like, what are the logistics? Um, so, I mean, yeah, so, so I guess I'll start with the fact that we're an e-commerce first business. So that that's pretty intuitive to most folks. Like you, you create a product, you put it in a warehouse, you get orders in digitally, and then you send out physical things from a, a centralized point and they show up at your doorstep. Like we're all e-commerce consumers. Um, and the brick and mortar side of things is much more complicated, messy, et cetera. Um, and so that, you know, it's a little more old school by nature. Like you work with these big distributors and, you know, any given distributor has its channel. So it might be a natural distributor like UNFI and they, they service Whole Foods and Sprouts and independent, you know, co-ops and things like that. And then you might have other distributors that are, you know, food service distributors. They distribute to the Peloton headquarters, the Facebook headquarters, or the JP Morgan headquarters, or whatever, um, and everything in between. And so, you know, um, predominantly in brick and mortar, you're working with these big distributors who are these huge multipliers. So you, you'll, you know, first you have to sell them on your concept. Hey, you should carry us. Here's why we're different in these ways, and we have momentum in, in e-commerce, and so we're going to succeed in brick and mortar. Um, and or you convince a big retailer all of, of all of those things. And then they decide to put you on their shelves and force the distributor that distributes to them to carry you. So you might go to uh, whatever, stop and shop, and you convince the, the category manager or buyer there that, that they should carry you. And then they, they say, great. And then they hit up their distributor, distributor and say, hey, you need to carry these, these, these products. And the distributor kind of has to because, you know, they have such a book of business, such a big book of business with with Stop and Shop, and you know, it's worth it for them to carry it anyway because there's so many Stop and Shops. So it can happen both ways. And then once you're actually in these distributors warehouses, you're in their network and in their catalog, and so that you know rinky dink grocery store in Naples um, very likely buys from one of our distributors and and they probably periodically check out the catalog of items carried by them and find someone like us and buys us right we we don't even we're not even playing into that transaction at all right i mean i never called that store um and so, so sorry, it, sorry to cut you off real quick yeah so there is a benefit though to 
to pitch directly to a grocery store and gain leverage that way, because essentially the distributor is never going to say no to stop and shop if they want to carry something. So, but it's probably a more fluid process for you to go straight to the distributor and say, Hey dude, I need you to carry the IQ bar. It It's like, you're going to grow the quickest by going to the retailer. Um, you know, it, it really is more smaller mom and pop folks who are buying just off like the UNFI catalog or whatever. Like you really, really should first and foremost be going to the retailer, either yourself or some people use brokers and then brokers are just a middleman who pitches a bunch of retailers and they might get you into the retailer. And then in some cases, some retailers pretty much only work with brokers. So like you can't even really pitch them. Um, you have to, you know, get signed on by a broker and then the broker pitches you and it's, it's messy and candidly a bit antiquated, but, um, but that's why it's just like, there's so much more messiness than, than e-commerce, um, which is just such a, you know, you're directly sending something to someone, whereas any given brick and mortar account you're in, you could have gotten there five different ways. You know, some people are able to directly distribute. Um, so they'll either literally ship their stuff to that store and not use a distributor, or they'll, they'll have what's called a DSD, which is like basically like Pepsi. If you have enough SKUs in whatever, Walgreens, you'll show up in a PepsiCo truck and they'll bring like not just Pepsi, but Frito-Lay and you know, all the pep, you know, 50 Pepsi brands sold in there. And your guy in your truck or the DSD, the direct service delivery truck will load all of your stuff into that Walgreens and you actually retain ownership of that inventory. Um, and once it gets sold, you get paid. So um, and that's more of a beverage thing as, uh, as from, from as far as I can tell. Um, and we're not in the beverage industry, but anyway, point being, it's just, there's 10 different ways to get on the shelf. Um, so it's, it's just messy. So there's no, when you say, okay, look, we need to go conquer this territory over there. It's not like you have a calculated approach. It's just like, no, we just got to kind of scrape our way in and figure it out. Yeah. I mean, it, it can't, it can and should be calculated. It's just, it's just, more complicated, you know, like, like it, it's, it's a really, I think the trickiest thing is like, you want to grow quick. So you want to just pitch everyone and let's, and, you know, let's say starting with these retailers is, is the right way to do it. You know, it's like raising money or anything like the first one's the hardest to get the second one's a little less hard and so on and so forth. Um, so you know, you, you should have a strategy, um, but you also should know that like you don't want to be everywhere. So it, you shouldn't necessarily treat pitching a retailer and getting in onto that retailer's shelves as a win. You know, in many ways, it's a, a headache. Like, yes, you get revenue, but now you just bought yourself a headache because once you're on that shelf, you have to sell on that shelf. And so the customers who walk in that door have to be the right customers and you have to be you know, framing your product to them the right way. And if you're not, then it's, it's often more harmful 
to ever be there in the first place. Um, and you should have probably just focused, you know, focused more and, 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 and spread less wide. But there could be a breakthrough with the grandpas and the grannies down here that you wouldn't even know about if you weren't down here. No, I'm, I, yeah, I'm bullish on Florida for sure. Florida is a, how would I describe it? Kind of like Jurassic Park. That's how I would describe it. In what, like, in what way? Well, there are, in Jurassic Park, there are about 80% of the scenes have an incredible amount of levity. And you feel good about the story. You feel good about the characters. You're like, wow, this is real heartfelt. And then the 20% of the time, it's just pure, just uncivilized savagery. So that's kind of how I would. Well, there's like the, the Florida man meme, right? There's definitely some weird shit that happens in Florida. Um, it's just like, it's, also- it's the weird shit is just so consistent, like crazy weird. I've gotten six Amber Alerts on my phone here in three days. That's not normal. (laughs) Yeah, that is not normal, nor good. Yeah. Yeah, it's a weird place relative to the rest of the country. And it's changing so much. Like, I mean, the influx of people has just been insane. Like, if you lived in Miami, you just, from like 20, January of 2020 to now you saw your city like completely changed or or Bozeman, Montana or Boise, Idaho or any of these places, but Miami in particular, and I'm sure many other places in Florida. Yeah. I have a bunch of friends who are moving to Miami just because they can work remote and they're like, why would we not live in Miami? Um, Real quick question for you. Now there's a, a large allure to being, quote unquote entrepreneur. And I try to be as honest as possible about kind of what it's like just getting punched in the dick nonstop. Now, is this how you pictured it when you started? Or are you like, wow, this is just a sick, unforgiving game? Um, I didn't picture it. Uh, if that <laughs> I, I, I I knew it was going to be so different than any picture in my head could be that I almost tried to like not picture it. It's sort of like the, like you ask a lot of entrepreneurs, like, would you have knowing what you know now and how brutal it's been and, and all that would you, and you could reverse time. Would you do it again? And a lot of them are like, no, like if I had known this would be so brutal for such a long period of time, no, probably not. And that ignorance at the outset is in many ways a good thing because, you know, ultimately you're glad that you're, you then did do it, but it's like, um, it's just so hard to predict all the ways it's going to suck. Like the only guarantee is it will suck. It's very hard to predict how and how often and all the ways in which it will suck. But um but, and by the way, it like changes every year, like each new year brings new insane challenges that didn't exist before. It's like my, my, one of my favorite quotes, this quote by a cyclist, famous cyclist, Greg Lamond, And he says, it never gets easier. You just go faster. So like the, the constant is difficulty, 
And as you get better, that that doesn't change. It's still just as difficult. You're just moving faster. You're just like growing faster, hiring more people, doing more things. It never gets not difficult. Have you ever read Ray Dalio's Principles? You're a big book guy, I know. Yeah, I have. I uh, I, I think I listened to it on audiobook, actually. A great book. And um, yeah, he. I had never thought of the perspective as entrepreneurship just being very pivotal to the growth of the human race. But essentially, what entrepreneurs do is they just like, put up with an incredible amount of suffering to hopefully change things to make things better for people. And so it's that perspective has been incredibly helpful to me. Have you ever looked at it from an existential point of view? Sometimes, sometimes it's like, I listen to this podcast with this guy who's like an astrophysicist. I think it was maybe a Joe Rogan podcast episode. And he was talking about his whole world of like, he thinks such big thoughts about the universe. And then his wife is like, Hey, what do you want for dinner? And then it like it brings him back to earth and, and, and the sort of prosaic aspects of life. Um, so I kind of think of it that way. Like sometimes I think of like, what is my role in America? What's my role in entrepreneurship? What's my, like, keep whittling down. What's my role in CPG? What's my role in the protein bar industry? What's my role in the Boston-based protein bar? Right? Like, you can keep getting to more granular derivatives. Um, and then you're like, oh, shit, I got 10 emails. I have to answer them. And then you stop thinking about that. Right? So it's like, it, it, it's like the equivalent of bringing you back to earth. And then you're like, oh, wait, I got to just put one foot in front of the other. So yeah, occasionally I'll think about that and it kind of feels good. Like it feels good to be doing something new, creating something out of thin air, creating something from scratch. It feels good. And like you're benefiting society um, more so than you would be at a cubicle or whatever. Um, but you know, that lasts about 10 minutes and then you're like, oh shit, I got to respond to this message. Now I had listened to a podcast with you on it. I forget whose it was. Um, but you had said you heard some advice, like before you start a business, you should call five people who own businesses or five people who are like relevant in your industry and like beg to take a call. It was something along those lines. Is this ringing a bell? Yeah. So who did you call before you started? Well, so yeah, so I had no background. I had no like mentor, quote unquote, or uh, at the outset or background in food and Bev or CPG in general. You know, my dad's an engineer. My mom has done a bunch of different things, worked in nonprofits and um, and now they actually work together in real estate, interestingly enough. Um, so, you know, at the outset, I didn't, I had no frame of reference, which I, again, I actually think is helpful. Um, so I needed to acquire all this specific knowledge though. Like how do you manufacture something? How do you create a supply chain? Where, what things should you be thinking about with your supply chain? What should things cost? Um, you, you know, how do you get a website up? Like so, some stuff agnostic to like the specific products I was making, like how do you incorporate? Um, should you be an LLC or a C corp? Like, I mean, there's a list that's 10 pages long of things I didn't know, but had to figure out 
at the outset. I was going to say, that's a, Greg, so, that's a Greg O'Brien question right there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I found Greg O'Brien early on. So he was like one of the people who could answer some of those questions for me. Um, but yeah, it's like, there are people who can just tell you the answers to those things. Right. And odds are you don't know them, but it's not that hard to get to know them or at least get to know someone else like them. Right. And, and odds are, you know, within a 20 mile radius around you, there's someone who can answer every one of those questions. And with the beauty of the internet and networks like LinkedIn and all that is you you can kind of, you can triangulate who those people are and you can just hit them up. And people I've found love to get hit up and asked for advice or questions or whatever. Like people feel good about that. They're like, Oh, I, by default, that kind of makes me an expert and it feels good to be an expert and, and sort of pass along knowledge. And people will just say, yes, like it's kind of wild. Um, Makes you sanguine about, human nature and, and the future and all, all that, when, when you go through a process like that, you hit up 20 people and 17 of them say, yeah, I'll, I'll go for a coffee and give you some advice. So that's literally what I did. I, I found a couple of other food entrepreneurs, food and beverage entrepreneurs, and I met up with them. I asked them a hundred questions. I wrote down the answers and of course, some people's answers conflicted with other people's answers. And, you know, some stuff you just, I just didn't agree with, even though I didn't know their context. So I was like, that doesn't sound right. But most of it was useful and it gave, gave me a starting point. I was like, okay, maybe a C Corp. And here are the manufacturers I'm going to call. And 10 of them will say no, but the 11th will say yes. And, you know, it just gives you a starting point. And then there's some tipping point where like you develop enough knowledge where you become sort of the expert and you're like, Oh wait, I'm just as much as an expert as that person is. And you can start a, you can start self learning. Like you have enough of a base where you can start teaching yourself things based on that, that base. Um, But that takes, at least a year to get there in my experience. Yeah. For me, it's, I'm still not there yet, man. So, and I'm been doing this a long time. So I hope I get there. Maybe this isn't the right path for me, man. This is an epiphany. Uh, so real quick, dude, a little bit on the nutrition of the bar. Now, can you explain what a nootropic is? And can you explain why someone would care about eating one? If I was selling your product, what I would say is I'd say, yo, do you want crack for your brain? Eat this. Yeah, it's hard to compete with crack, to be honest. But, um, <laughs> but, and so, okay, so to your first question, what's a nootropic? An nootropic is just anything that helps your brain function better. So caffeine is uh, the probably the most common nootropic. Uh, people don't think about coffee as like a drug, um, but I mean, caffeine is very much a drug. It's, it's a nootropic. It's wildly successful because it works. You know, it raises your heart rate. It increases your mental acuity. That's why everyone drinks it every morning or most people. And the do. side effects are incredibly minimal. 
yeah, and the side effects are minimal. You know, you get a little lethargic once it wears off, but but most people would say that 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 juice was worth the squeeze. So um so that's like a common one, right? And then and then there's like a whole host that are just like less and less and less and less common or less commonly known. And so there are all these crazy ones like adrafinil and modafinil and um these are compounds that are naturally occurring. Sometimes compounds can be create, you know, created in a lab. But again, the whole point is it makes your brain work better, function better. It increases memory recall, it increases acuity, increases you know, speed of um, you know, neuron firing, et cetera. So there, there's an interesting, you know, the last five, 10 years has been interesting because no one really knew if it would get mass market and mainstream this concept of nootropics there's quote unquote biohackers so like dave asprey of the bulletproof diet and you know there's a host of people who started popularizing these these nootropics um and it still today remains an open question whether it'll get that mass market i think some people have broken through the noise some like four sigmatic if you're familiar with them it's mushroom you know, blends. And that's like enough. Again, the reason coffee works is it's a bean and it's like, oh, it's natural and you're roasting it and you're drinking water poured over it. And by the way, you feel good at the end. You're not like, I'm taking a caffeine supplement this morning, right? Mm -hmm. So it just humanizes it, makes it mass market, makes it appealing. Um, Now, sorry to cut you off, Will. Have you ever tried Alpha Brain? Yeah, I have. I have. It's all right. I don't, I didn't really notice any discernible. I mean, that, so so there's another like really challenging dynamic here, which is a feedback loop dynamic. So caffeine is so so popular because you have a quick and sharp feedback loop. You drink it, your heart rate goes up, your mental acuity goes up, you feel euphoric, you feel good. Like quick feedback loop, and quick feedback loops. Um, you know, work. <laughs> There's a reason Red Bull is absolutely gigantic and owns sports teams. They have a great feedback loop. So, high, man. so, so it's much more challenging when you don't, it's like something's good for your brain or for you. And there's n- not as strong or sometimes no feedback loop. So when you take an omega-3 fatty acid pill, right? Fish oil, let's say a lot of people eat fish, you know, consume fish oil. There's no feedback loop. You don't, you're not like, oh, I feel better. It's like maybe over months or years, you're like, hmm, my joints are less stiff. But like, you know, there's no feedback loop. That's why Omega-3 companies don't own sports teams. Um, but but it's good for your brand. So like, it is a good thing to take. It's just that psychological hook isn't there. So, I mean, that's always something we've thought about on the nootropic front is like, you know, we're, do you want to create this feedback loop? And so actually our original products had caffeine in them, but honestly, what we found was enough people were, more people were complaining about the caffeine than were pumped about it. It's like, why does this have caffeine? Now I can't consume it at night. And so I think it's just super contextual. Like um, there are contexts where I want a brain feedback loop, like the morning with a drink. Like that's a, that's a context, like early afternoon, like, and then there's this whole world of net, the absence of a negative 
feedback loop, which is way less good than the presence of a positive feedback loop. It's less good than that, but it's still quite good. An example of that would be like keto, right? So if my if my status quo is I eat a you know piece of pizza for lunch, I'm inducing a negative feedback loop. In other words, I eat it and I feel terrible an hour later. And if I eat like an IQ bar or a ketogenic product, I don't feel terrible. So, so that's an absence of a negative. And you can go actually pretty far with the absence of a negative. Again, it's not as like immediately compelling as the presence of a positive feedback loop, but it's pretty darn good. So we actually transition from the, the positive feedback loop to an absence of a negative feedback loop. So essentially you're saying you eat our bar, you won't have a crash. Yeah, now you'll never crash. You'll just, you're not going to crash because of that. You know, like you might crash because you didn't get a lot of sleep the night prior or what have you, but you're consuming something that will not boost your blood glucose and, um, you know, generate a bunch of insulin production and, um, yeah, cause you feel super lethargic and terrible and gain weight, by the way. Now, peeling it back. So you did try Alpha Brain. What were your thoughts on it? It was, uh, I didn't, I, that was the beginning of my whole rant on feedback loops was actually a, a, in response to that. I didn't notice much of a feedback loop candidly. Um, and I think I only tried it once, maybe twice. So I, I wasn't like really like, I don't know. I think I saw it at a Whole Foods and I grabbed one. I put it in my water and drank it. and di didn't feel much, but um, it's worth trying again. I don't know. What's your experience? I've noticed an enhanced focus during times of the day when I wouldn't normally have it, but it's not incredibly present. Um, I've also noticed it can cause incredible nausea if you do not consume it with food. If you have it on an empty stomach, it's like kind of brutal. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's another thing, right? Like, there's just so many challenges you deal with. It. It's like certain things are great. Like they're great in a tropic and they're taste horrible or they make you nauseous or they're insanely expensive and no one's going to pay 10 bucks for that thing. Like whether it works oddly enough is like only one tenth of the puzzle. Like so many of these nootropics are super bitter. Like caffeine on its own is really bitter, right? That's what largely what makes coffee bitter. Um, then all these other compounds, like most of them are taste horrible. That's why a lot of people put them in pills because you don't, you don't taste the inside of a pill. Um, and so if you're actually trying to create drinks and food and things that you chew and consume and touch your taste buds, it just makes the challenge way, way, way more difficult. Now with your mix, because you were talking about the alpha brain mix specifically, I take the capsule. What is the benefit to having a nootropic as an endurance athlete in your mix, as opposed to the carb powder I would take during my most recent ultra marathon? You did an ultra marathon. I did. I completed a hundred mile ultra marathon. That's epic, man. I've always wondered who the hell does those things. Like, how do you have the balls to do that? Um, You're I'll tell you, real emotional baggage, girl yeah, problems, yeah. and genetic demons. Yeah. And you're just staring at your demon 10 yards ahead of you the whole, whole uh, way. 
Lord, help me, please. But um, yeah, I mean, so so on the next front, like what we found when just like looking at the market and Anna just, I'm a, I was a consumer of hydration products myself and I, I wouldn't, I'm certainly not running ultra marathons. I run five miles a day, probably four or five days a, a week. But, you know, many times I was consuming it, not in a athletic context. Like I had had a few drinks the night before and I was not feeling well. Um, I just didn't have a few drinks. I just woke up and I want to drink something that's going to make me feel good. You know, just staying hydrated, period, uh, you know, outside of an athletic context is something people should do and I try to do. And so that's part of it is like with IQ Mix, basically we're combining, we took basically liquid IVs, you know, electrolyte profile, subtracted sugar and added brain nutrients. That's like the quick one sentence pitch. So you don't want like 11, 12 grams of sugar, right? Because sugar's not good for you. You do want the electrolytes. And then we added in this compound called magnesium L3 and 8. And if folks listen to um, Andrew Huberman or a couple other people who have big podcasts in the health and wellness space, they're wild about this compound magnesium L3 and 8. So basically it's the only magnesium that can cross the blood-brain barrier and actually reach your neurons. Everything else can't, can't cross it. So magnesium chloride, magnesium citrate, et cetera. Um, and so we include that. Um, and then we also include lion's mane, a lion's mane concentrate. So you might say like, well, if I'm an athlete, like, do I, you know, do I really need the magnesium L3 and A? No, do I need, um, you know, lion's mane? Maybe not. Um, I think there, it still benefits you Obviously, the sodium and potassium electrolytes benefit you athletically, but actually magnesium is also an electrolyte. And, you know, this particular compound of magnesium helps improve mood um, and a number of other, you know, mental acuity and a few other things. So I think they're beneficial no matter what, almost. It's like, it's not going to, certainly not going to hurt you. And I, um, you know, we have yet to do like double blind placebo controlled studies of athletes using it, right? We're not going to spend $2 million to do that, but certainly not going to hurt. Um, so we want that duality of benefit. Like it's great to drink at your desk, but it's also great to drink before you go for a, you know, 10 mile run. Okay. So specifically you haven't done tests on its, its effects on athletic performance just yet. No, I mean, more like, this is another, like. Um, decision point that entrepreneurs get to, which is if you're trying to create functional products, you really want to center your products on, on compounds that have a whole host of research that say that they're good for your, whatever your brain, your body, your gut, whatever, and include those, you center your products on those compounds versus centering everything on your products. Right. In which case you have to run your own multi-million dollar studies and yada, yada. Like no one has the money to do that. I mean, Joe Rogan and the, the on it guys, they, they have the money to do that. And so they'll do that. They'll literally run studies with alpha brain, the product, right? Um, we focus more on like, what are the actual, just what are the compounds that matter? So like sodium really matters. Potassium really matters. Um, magnesium L3 and 8 matters. 
And these are generally the, the usage levels that you want. And we combine all those, all those things and here's the product, right? And here's all the research behind sodium and potassium and magnesium L3 and A versus like we took our end product and we ran all these studies, right? It's just not, it's sort of a, it's getting to the same place, you know, and saving the million, millions of dollars that no entrepreneur has. Well, I would like to test it. I'll definitely get some. Um, what I have found, and I don't know if you're familiar with Bear Performance Nutrition and their products, but as an endurance drink, I take their G1M Sport. And I have found that it actually is just really harsh on my stomach. And it's just so consumer by consumer basis. Like some of my friends who run, they can take the G1M Sport, but they can't do like a cliff block chewable. So it's just such a case by case basis with endurance mixes as to like what will actually be effective. So I'm actually really excited to try it. What, what do you guys do for flavors right now? Uh, lemon, lime, blood, orange, peach, mango, and blueberry pomegranate. You have so, a favorite? Yeah. The blueberry pomegranate, I think is, is pretty, pretty bomb.com in my opinion. I mean, I think they're all good, but um, blood orange is also extremely popular. Um, yeah, and we'll, we'll be coming out with more flavors too, um, testing a few things like, is it possible in a hot context, you know, like a hot apple cider type thing. Um, but yeah, I would st start with the blueberry pomegranate and the blood orange. And calorically, what is like one mix, one packet? 10 calories. Oh, dude, that's a lot of calories. <laughs> yeah, it was uh couldn't swing zero but tens your next your next leg up now but yeah I think you, like, sorry to cut you off well let me ask you a question are you familiar with walden farms and their products walden farms no they are they making like bunch of salad dressings mixes oh, yeah, all yeah. this shit and yeah, they're all right zero calorie. And I'm like eating these and I'm like, yo, these are amazing. But what zero gram net carbs, zero calories. Dude, I'm like, what type of chemicals are in this thing to make this happen? Because it Fat tastes like free. Bro, wow. it's insane. It's like you're literally eating Teletubbies food. Yeah, that I don't think I would ever trust something that is literally zero calorie. <laughs> Dude, it's awesome though. Like what I'm looking at their nutrition label now. Okay. It's basically vinegar and so, and salt. <laughs> That's it. And flavoring. Basically, yeah. Basically a couple acids here and there, but yeah, it's like salt and vinegar and like a half, you know, some sprinkled pepper in there. Interesting. They have a zero calorie ketchup which is a great replacement taste-wise. They have a pancake syrup. And dude, they, these products are being sold right next to your IQ bar at that market up the street. Very interesting. Now, they have what like a is, keto set or something like that? They do. They sell, I, I don't even know where they're based out of. It might be New Jersey, but in the bodybuilding world, they're pretty popular for people that are doing cuts because you get zero calorie condiments that don't add to your caloric budget. Huh. Cool. But I mean, I look at the label and I'm like, dude, this is like, 
I'm reading hieroglyphics off a cave wall here. What is this stuff? Yeah, at some level, you were meant to consume calories. Now, what is reveratrol or revratrol? Am I saying that right? Where are you reading that? When I listened to that last podcast, you were talking about reveratrol, or maybe this was- Oh, uh, yeah, resveratrol. Resveratrol. Yeah, so actually, that's a comp. We don't include that in our in our products, but it's- um, Resveratrol is basically the compound in red wine that's like makes red wine good for you. Um, or at least when people say a glass of red wine is good for you, they're, they're talking about resveratrol. It's a compound. Um, it's a polyphenol, which is a, this is a family of compounds that's- good for a whole host of things good for your brain your heart um etc um that's a good example of something that we i really really wanted to include in our products um and i just couldn't figure out how to make it work (laughs) because it's insanely expensive like it's like getting a grape like some insanely minute portion of a grape is resveratrol and so like you need a zillion grapes to get like a gram of resveratrol so it's, it's just very expensive really good you know if you're if you're if you nerd out on that stuff and like you're willing to spend the money and, and all that like more power to you but um if we had included that it's like it makes your bar like double the price so that's the other give and take of creating products especially functional products is like you have to like think about like the downstream impact of every movie make, like is someone willing to pay for this? Um, if no, you can do more harm than good. Cause you're not going to sell any of the thing, you know? So, um, and then the curcumin, which is the, basically the compound in turmeric that's good for you. It's like supercharged turmeric effectively. Um, same deal. Like this is awesome. Everyone unequivocally says it's good but it's bright orange and your bar is going to taste terrible and it's going to make your bar orange and it stains your fingers when you touch it and yada, yada. So, you know, you gotta, there's a totality of considerations for any given inclusion. Um, and you just have to weigh the, the pluses and minuses. Now, who is your biggest market? Like who buys brain boosting foods? It's a really interesting question. I mean, it's because at the outset, I think a lot of entrepreneurs find this, you create something and then like it takes off with some crowd you didn't think it would take off with. Like our, our, at the outset, we're like, you know, the, the people who think about brain health and want brain food and these like biohackers and the Soylent crowd, they'll be really into brain food. And then what we really found is, and, and this we think is largely due to the, just the form factor of a bar, is people shop for bars based on diet. So <clears throat> generally speaking, how much protein, how much sugar, how much carbs, like what's it cost? And like what's it taste like and, and other things. But just, you know, they're starting with all those and like does it hit my macros and it is a clean label. It's all diet first um, considerations. And so what we found is you actually have to lead with diet. So, um, the, it, you know, if you're a whole thing is being plant-based, you know, lead with that. 
And then as a rounding element, as a hook, as a differentiator, it's like, by the way, it has all these things that are good for brain. And, um, you know, it's an approachable price point and, and all these other things. But you got to lead with the dietary considerations. Um, so you're so you target the plant-based crowd. So plant-based, ketogenic folks, um, you know, paleo folks, folks who care about clean label and low sugar. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a and then there's like derivative demographics within those. So like the diabetic community, for instance, is very cognizant of consuming foods low in sugar and low in carbs, right? So we're a great fit for them for that reason. But then there's also folks who are like, they just love the brain aspect, right? So it's not, it's not everyone. It's just when you're thinking about the, the mass market, that's how they're thinking about it. Some people actually are like, just really into brain food. It's just not, not the majority of, majority of people don't start there. So how does that break down ethnically and age-wise, the plant-based community? Who is plant-based? Like, who's eating That's those a great question. My, our um, head of marketing, or CMO, would give you a much smarter answer to that one. On I can't answer that super well. But, I mean, in short, like, every race, age, both genders, um, our plant like there's a large we live in a massive country um there's a very large subset of every demographic that is plant-based for, for instance so i think you start with the diet you know generally speaking most of our, like a slight majority of our consumers are female but we also have a lot of male um generally speaking they're between the ages of 29 and 49 but we also have folks older than 49 um, so, you know, we have our like quote unquote avatar of like, who's our perfect consumer, but there's just such a long tail of people that don't fit into that, that bucket that, um, you know, we have to consider them as well whenever we're creating you know, uh, ad creative or things like that. Noted. All right. I got two more questions for you. And I hope you enjoyed both the questions because I did some research, man. I was prepared. Right. Now, so I specifically am really into nutrition and diet just as a matter of habit for the last five, six years, just caring a lot about athletics and physique. So I have never found a concrete reason why an excess amount of vitamin E is beneficial in our diet. So, and that's like one of your marketing points. Why is that good for me? Like I go house two IQ bars and I get a bunch of vitamin E. Yeah. Vitamin E is an interesting one and one that, yeah, it's not like plastered on a ton of foods and supplements and drinks and, and that kind of thing. Um, and it's, it's, I believe of, 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 an overlooked uh, nutrient, but basically vitamin E is, it's an antioxidant for one. So it helps um, eliminate free radicals uh, in the body and the brain. Um, we actually have a good write up on all of our nutrients on our site, eatiqbar.com backslash Y IQ bar, um, or just go to our site and click the white what's inside section. 
but I did a whole write up on all of the the nutrients um, in depth. Um, but anyway, so for vitamin E, um, it's been it's antioxidants. It's shown across a few studies to slow the uh, cognitive aging process. Um, this is typically most relevant for folks who are older. Um, and so it, it, it staves off cognitive decline. You're not going to take a bunch of vitamin E and then feel like you just took Adderall or something like that. Like it's, it's um, tantamount to my earlier omega-3 example. Um, but yeah, there, there's, we list in that, in that write-up like a whole a series of studies that show, for, for instance, um, one study, elderly subjects with high vitamin E intake performed significantly better than those on mental function questionnaires and memory tests. Um, you know, so th there are these um, cognitive benefits, again, typically seen with older folks, um, but structurally it also helps to shore up your, your neuron cell membrane. So it, it maintains the integrity of your, your neuron cells. But again, it's it's sort of an overlooked. You, you don't you don't see it a lot. You can get it from uh, almonds are really high in it, um, and a few other things too. Okay, word noted. Now, last question. So, what is your like overarching goal? That like we had talked about this yesterday, but like vision for the brand. Like, like I have these friends who run a, a hemp company and they're killing it. They're doing awesome. And their goal is like, all right, dude, we want to be in every store in America. Do you have like a, a North star like that for the brand? Or are you more on like a month to month basis? Similar to the earlier question of like, just thinking like <clears throat> existentially thinking big thoughts. This is another big thought, right? Where do I want to be in five years? Like what's the brand going to be? I think that can be helpful. Um, but it's not that helpful. Like if I were to give you like the, the goal, it's become the leading brain and body nutrition company in America. Um, that's creating, you know, uh, that's outside of the pill space, for instance. So everything we make is like a gummy or a powder or a bar, the things that you chew or, or drink. Um, that's the goal. But it's not that helpful to say that. Like, I think it's helpful maybe like morale wise and inspiration wise and took like a cool, fun goal. But, you know, then you get back at it and you're like, what's, what do I actually want to do in the next six months? Well, I want to grow, grow Amazon sales from this to that. And I want to grow our website sales from this to that. And I want to get into this many more doors and brick and mortar. And I think most of my reflections come after stuff has happened, not in anticipation of stuff that's happened. So then at the end of the year, you look back and you're like, oh, we, we grew a lot, you know, like we're in all these places and we sold more product online and damn, that's pretty cool. And then you, you know, you set your next goal and then you move on and you get on to operating and, and executing. But in short, we want to become big, ultimately, candidly, you know, probably an exit of the business at some point is, is the goal. Uh, I don't, I don't think it'll be my life's work, but, um, who knows, man, like my perspective on this kind of stuff changes every 12 months. What would you start up next? If, if you sold today, like what's, what's, what are you really curious about? 
What would I start up next? Yeah, if you're starting another business right now. Um, I'm see, I'm not like a Mike Rapole or Rampole or whatever his name is. I, I'm not like gonna like do another bar or like do another, maybe even another food. Like I, I think I'm really interested in alcohol alternatives. And not I don't even mean like I don't even mean zero out ABV beer or, or spirits. I mean like recreating alcohol, like or the, the positive effects of alcohol while drastically mitigating or eliminating the negative uh, ramifications of consuming alcohol. Like the, for instance, that's a random idea I'm just super fascinated in. And there's these startups that are like can C A N N that are doing it and like with uh, THC, right. But that doesn't, it's not a perfect analog to alcohol. Right. Um, and so how do you, that's just an interesting thing. I've thought a lot about how do you, how do you replace alcohol? Right. We all, many of how us do you consume get, alcohol, like, but it's, we accept the downsides, but what if we didn't have to? Yeah. How do you get banged up without like it taking a long-term toll on your health and being hungover? Exactly. If you, if you saw that problem, you're going to win the Nobel peace prize. You know, it's like, what an epic problem to try and solve. So I think any next thing I do, like it will be super big, you know, in, in its purview. I don't know if you are familiar with this company, but I know a woman who actually started a vodka company in Southie called Velo Vodka. Have you heard of it? Sounds familiar. V-E-L-O. Yeah, she'd been on the show. Her name is Colleen. And uh, you would know more about the chemicals and the compounds than I would. But essentially, drinking it does mitigate some of the effects of a hangover because it's like hydro infused or something. Oh, that's hilarious. Created in South Boston. Wow, that's funny. I should I should connect with her. She's a beast. Yeah, no, I'll put you in a group text with her. I love her. She's awesome. And she's in a ton of spots in mass. Yeah, that's why I kind of understood your distribution model, because for her, it was like, I got to get that Martinetti distribution deal. It's going to get me in a million stores. Yep. Yep. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. I mean, I even, yeah, it's like, what if you combine like electrolytes with alcohol? But I'm actually interested in what if you just replace alcohol, like straight up, right? Like people are trying to, you know, there's, there's other stimulants other than caffeine, right? We can try to replace caffeine versus like, Oh, I'll just make a better coffee. You know, it's like, I'm interested in like, what's the alternative to coffee? Yeah. You need to get like dropped in the jungle and start like scraping up like tree bark and stuff and <laughs> testing out chemicals and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, I find that fun. Like I think a lot of people don't, but I, I find tinkering really fun. Let me, before we send off here, let me pitch you a huge entrepreneurial idea I have that if I was in the products-based business and I was like, all right, I want to build a product in my life. This is what I would do. Now, do you consume coffee? Dude, I consume, maybe I shouldn't admit this, but I just will. I consume like four cups of coffee a day. My brother, as do I. Now, is it hot or cold the coffee you consume? Hot. From where is it based from your home? You go to Dunkin's? Yeah, I have a kit. I mean, it's of course this has all changed with the pandemic. Like I used to go to Dunkin' and I would actually get often, it depends on the season. Like in the winter, I would get uh, hot and then 
spring, summer, I'd get ice, iced coffee, but now I just crush the K cup, the Keurig machine and do Duncan K cups. Okay. Well, dude, that's you see, so you're not drinking four cups of coffee today. You're drinking four cups of water a day. All right. Carrie. That I mean, not, well, there's nothing. like two, there's like a setting where it's like extra strong, but yeah, I don't think that does much. Okay. Let me break out of my sales pitch for one sec here. Dude, go to Starbucks and say, hey, dude, I want the space juice. All right. You get black coffee, two shots of espresso, no room. Just say, I want the space juice. Fuck me up. That's going to change your entrepreneurship That's a game thing. for life. It's called space juice. That's an order. In Boston, if you go to some of these Starbucks and say, I want the space juice, they'll be like, how do you know the space juice, kid? They'll say that. They'll be like, do you know Connor? I don't, I don't know where you live exactly, but they're going to be like, dude, what? I live hell? in South. I live, I live right by Capo, if you're familiar with that. Oh, my God. Not the famous Capo. White Basin. chicks love Capo, man. Um, but let me go back to my sales pitch real quick. Cause I've just been preparing it and I've just wanted to perform it for a while here. So you go to Duncan's, your coffee is piping hot. And like, when you go get coffee, you're trying to get cracked out instantly. Your will, you're trying, are to you, this. are you trying to get cracked? Like I like getting cracked out on coffee, but like at some point you're getting jittery and like, you can't even like think straight. Dude, if you're anything like me, you're trying to get fucked up, man. So anyway, okay. you need to make 15 sales pitches today. You got to get the IQ bar into the Whole Foods there at the ink block. You got to go tell the dudes at American Provisions to sell you said IQ bar. And so you need that effect instantaneously. But how come you get that Duncan's coffee and you got to wait 30 whole minutes to cool that thing down so it's the perfect temperature? Now, I understand you have to heat up the coffee so it brews correctly. But what if there's a system that cools the coffee after it brews it to the perfect consumable temperature so you can drink it right away yeah i i uh yeah I, it's compelling man i think there's like a cup that does that though isn't there i have yet to find something like that yeah okay we could make the system, sell it to franchises. They would put it in every Starbucks, every Dunkin's. They could use the technology. Yep. Yeah, that's. I, I that is the temperature thing is a problem. Um, like you've heard that case problem. of McDonald's when the woman put the hot coffee between her legs. Yeah, well, I watched a whole doc on that on on people who have sued like. There's like 10 other cases like that. And of course it was like, it was insanely hot. Um, and Chia was actually like justified in, in suing them because it was like ludicrously hot. Um, yeah, that's an interesting one. And uh, the like broader thing there too is like, there are certain things where it's like dramatically changes the experience. Like, when's, like have you drank a warm Coke? or diet Coke in the last like couple of years, like it's a terrible, terrible experience. Yeah. Like I don't drink Coke, but like, I think I drank a diet Coke a while ago and it was warm. And I was like, Oh my God, like the, like so much of the product is that it has to be cold. Like it has to be. Dude, um, like, like how about you go to like your little cousin's soccer game and they have like 
the cup of joe or the hot cocoa from dunks and then you drink it and your tongue is incinerated yeah the burning your tongue is not great and and yet the lukewarmness is not great too yeah it's it's you need that sweet spot you need that sweet spot so now you got to put call on your scientist friends and say how do we do this man i there is like a cup that does this though what would we call the company? Um, Freeze frame. Searching for this company. Temperature controlled mugs. But yeah, it's like it's like a you're not gonna have a mug. Oh, Ember, I think is what it was. Ember mug. It's like the perfect cop. It like so it's so it, the first, the coffee is really hot, right? So it transfers energy and makes it a little colder, right? So you're not burning your tongue, and then it transfers it back, <laughs> so it like keeps it at like the absolute ideal. But I don't know. I don't know if these people are successful. And this is a mug, correct? It's a mug. It's a mug. Yeah. So why like why doesn't Dunks just have a system where it comes out ready to go? But what is that? Like, you have to price in some cool down. You know what I'm saying? If it's ready to go, I'm going to be pissed off 10 minutes later. I also think certain people have higher and lower tolerances, right? Like certain people, it's like a shower, right? Like some people like piping hot showers and then some people like warm showers. Yeah, but no one likes, no one literally likes to wait for 15 minutes to take their first sip of something. Yeah, totally. That's totally true. I think, yeah, as a general rule of thumb, like it's always too hot. It's always too hot. But then, like, this Dude, is like you get you more sell, people in and out of your stores. It would be, it wouldn't take as when, long. When you sell a tangible product, though, like you like learn this pretty quick, like people will complain. Like, I can just tell you. I get something that's perfect temp, right? Like I'm like, I have like my baby in a stroller. I'm like, put my baby in the car, like yada, yada, like seven minutes later, I put it in the cup holder. I turn the car on and I take my first sip and I'm like, I'm like, why is like, that's lukewarm. Like that's so disappointing. And then I go on your site and I complain. Um, And so I think they're like pricing that in because it's like, What's worse, it being too hot and I have to wait until it's perfect and I drink it when it's perfect, or you know that what is what's worse that waiting period or me waiting seven minutes drinking it and being disappointed with the temperature. But that's any sort of innovation. Like consumers are going to slightly change their behavior if the product's better and it saves them time. Yeah, I'm sure this is something they've 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 thought through. It's like there was I remember there's a Shark Tank pitch where like it was like actually the pitch wasn't relevant to the comment, but it was some pitch and then a comment Mr. Wonderful made was he's like I talked to this pizza guy, like this guy who runs this chain of pizza shops or whatever, uh, pizzerias. Um and I remember I knew a guy who pitched that guy like a better 
you know those little the little table in the middle of a pizza box that keeps it from not collapsing on itself and he's like i know i know a guy who pitched like a better version of that or, or maybe it was a box that didn't need that and so the box that better box was like 20 percent like 15 percent more expensive than the sum of the old box plus the little table thing in the middle right so it's a little more expensive but it's just like a better product like you don't need that thing in the middle and and he was like and it failed miserable miserably because like the question you have to answer is is that going to actually stop someone from buying a pizza like will that thing stop them or start them in the process of buying it will, will it influence them either way if the answer is no like the, the head of purchasing of the chain of Patriot is, is not going to do it so it's like everything's working backwards from is this making a person buy this when they otherwise wouldn't have or like delivering such a better experience that they'll buy it more. And then there's that cost benefit analysis. Like you incurred some, a little bit of cost, right. But it was worth it or, it, or it wasn't worth it. If it ultimately you crunch the numbers and it doesn't change purchasing decisions, it's not going to happen. I, so I don't know. That, that would be like the question you would have to think about is like, am I now going and buying that coffee? And when I otherwise wouldn't have, maybe, maybe not. Um, if you have Dunkin's and Starbucks right next to each other, they sell the same exact coffee, but you can get one of them faster than the other. And you can consume one of them faster. You're going to go to the, the one that's faster. It's just, you're going to err on the side of convenience, no matter what. Totally. My question is like, they've clearly thought this through. Why is it so damn hot? And then I'm sure there's like some like lengthy explanation. It's like, well, you want it to be hot. So maybe, maybe it is like, so that everyone can get it at the best heat. And some people wait for it and some, some don't, but I don't know. I don't know. Well, anyway, with that, that will be the segue. And um, you you get, we'll get someone from Duncan on your, on your podcast. I've had her. I've had, <laughs> there's a woman that owns pretty much every single, she doesn't own, she franchised pretty much every single Dunkin' Donuts in Boston. It's one of my favorite podcasts ever named Sharon Smith. And she baked donuts for 20, 15 years overnight shift, built up enough money to start her own dunks. And now she owns all of them in the city. She's, she's the man. So she's probably absolutely crushing it. She's a beast. Yeah, I'll send you that episode too. It's one of my favorite episodes ever. She's just this kingpin. Um, all right, man. Well, hey, thank you very much for doing this, man. I had a blast. I learned a lot. I'm definitely going to purchase some of that mix. And what I'll also do after this call is I'll get a good address to ship you a new shirt. And I'll put you in a text with Colleen if you'd like. And we're on air now, so you can't really turn it down. I guess you kind of got to take it. Colleen is the Duncan, the, the no, Duncan Empress. That's that's Sharon. Oh, oh, that's Sharon. Colleen's the Velo Vodka boss. Oh, oh, right, 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 right. Cool. Yeah, I'd love to connect with her. Um, she probably, I could probably throw a rock at her apartment from where I am. Yeah, and she's like really into like restaurants and stuff there. She's a good networker for sure. Um, hey, this is how we start and end the episode. I'm going to tell you once you have to execute on it flawlessly because I will not tell you again. You got one chance. And Seeing as you're the IQ bar brain blast, Jimmy Neutron guy, you got to get this right. So it's 
Hi, my name is blank, your name. And this is my golden hour directly after no break in between the sentences. Hi, my name is your name. And that was my golden hour. Hi, my name's Will Netza, and this is my golden hour. Hi, my name's Will Netza, and that was my golden hour. Wow, that was well executed, man. Good work. Is that, was I regurgitating it properly? It was perfectly executed. I got nervous there. Like the one take thing, you know, raised my heart rate a bit. New pressure either burst pipes or makes diamonds, right, man? <laughs> Uh, 